Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. gospel reading this morning is from the gospel of John, the fourth chapter. So he came, talking about Jesus, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? That's because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. 
I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the wheat reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks. Last week, we heard Jesus teaching, you must be born again. And we also heard him teaching that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we saw how the Holy Spirit of God gives us that spiritual rebirth that allows us to live and to do good. To most Americans, you know, the Holy Spirit has been a peripheral part of Christianity. It's a sort of an add-on, a maybe doctrine of Christianity, which we might accept or not. Most Americans see the mention of the Holy Spirit as something mystical and maybe an indicator of a bit of borderline looniness. 
were most recognized that, you know, those upright, stable, sound people who filled the pews of our best churches, the churches that cater to the well-off in society, those people who are important and wealthy and wear nice clothes, suits and fashionable outfits whenever they go out, those people who drive nice cars and live in fancy brick homes with, with pools, those people would never let them be caught up by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was not an add-on for the Apostle Paul and the other disciples. For the Holy Spirit was a core part of what happened in the early church. In fact, when we read through the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit is the main character in that book. Maybe we need to let ourselves be caught up by the Spirit. But let's review a bit. We almost all know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in his mother Mary and was raised by her and Joseph, her husband. At about age 30, Jesus came to see his cousin John the Baptist on the Jordan River where John baptized him and saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove. And the Spirit then drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for 40 days. Now afterwards, Jesus called a dozen men of his disciples, followers, and students. And he began to walk around the Holy Land, healing people and proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Eventually, after three years, he resurrected a friend named Lazarus who had died four days earlier. He brought him back from the dead. Lazarus' sister Martha, about a week later, then had a celebratory meal. She catered it for Jesus and his disciples and Lazarus. And her younger sister Mary, Mary was a really popular name in those days, Mary anointed Jesus with a fragrant perfume oil, which brought back to everybody's mind the old custom of anointing a king with oil, that custom from the Old Testament. And the next day, the whole company, everybody who'd been at the dinner and a bunch of other people, walked a couple miles into Jerusalem, much to the joy of the crowd, Jesus preached that week at the temple of God in Jerusalem. But the leaders of Jerusalem were nervous over the ruckus that was being caused. So they had Jesus arrested and beaten and brought before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, for execution on the charge of claiming to be God's son. Blasphemy, it was claimed. It was, ex it was a death sentence. And after some hesitation... Pilate finally gave in to the crowd's demands and had Jesus executed by being hung on a cross until he died. And the disciples, they began to head for the hills. But on Sunday morning, Mary and then Peter and John, the leading disciples, reported to the rest that Jesus was alive. They'd seen him. They pr it proved that Jesus' claim to be Son of God was not bogus. That evening, a group of about ten disciples saw Jesus alive as he spoke to them and ate some fish with them. And over the next 40 days, Jesus kept showing up, even cooking a group of them breakfast one morning. At one point, over 500 people saw Jesus alive and teaching after he had died on the cross. And then he returned to heaven. Well, about ten days after that, once again, the Holy Spirit arrived in power and descended upon the assembled disciples. 
as well as on other followers who were present. And the book of Acts details the many things that the Holy Spirit did with the followers over the next 30 years or so. If you have not read the book of Acts, you need to read it. The disciples taught based upon what Jesus had taught them. And what did they teach? First, they taught that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and Son of Man, part of God Himself who was walking on the earth, who spoke with them, who ate with them and walked with them for three years during the time of His ministry. The disciples were sure that He was Son of God because of Jesus' claims before He was arrested and the miracles they'd seen, and the disciples were very sure because they had seen Him die on the cross A Roman soldier even stuck his spear in Jesus' side on that Friday afternoon when he was on the cross to be sure that Jesus was dead and water and blood poured out of the side. They knew he had died. And they all saw Jesus alive and again many times after those first sightings on Sunday morning. They talked with him. They ate with him. They walked with him. Jesus must be God himself. Second, because of who Jesus is, God himself, then his teachings are very, very important. So what were his key teachings? Most importantly, God loves all people and wants to be reconciled with them, to be on good terms with them, as a good father is with his children. God will forgive all disobedience, all sins, Every previous crime against God, if we will simply ask to be forgiven and turn to follow Jesus' teachings and example. Second, Jesus' teachings are not supposed to be a burden on us, but a guide to good living. He said, referring to that guide beam that's placed on the neck of draft animals, my yoke is easy. And you see the guy walking there with Jesus' yoke on him. But to follow Jesus requires us to repent, to rethink our ideas about what a good life is and what's important in life. Jesus, you see, did not worry about today or tonight, but he looked forward many years, and his teachings looked forward many years. Jesus looked toward eternity and how we might live a good life with him as we grow older and in the next life. For there is a wisdom that Jesus taught about how to live well. And it's often different from what the world around us teaches us. Furthermore, you know, if we only read the Bible, we might miss a key fact. Jesus left us the Holy Spirit to guide us on a daily basis. Oh, it's it's mentioned in there several times, but it's one of those things we often gloss over. You see, we're not to be taught only by the Bible but also by the Holy Spirit. And we receive the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands and prayer during our baptism. Those who were baptized here a few weeks ago, I laid my hands on every one of them and prayed for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Learning to listen to the Holy Spirit is a key part of becoming a mature Christian believer. Now the great religious issue of the day that the disciples had to deal with, having been taught by Jesus, well, it's still the great issue of our day.
The great question was how to be right with God. What's required of a man or a woman to remain in the good graces of God? For it's clear that no one can survive death by his or her own devices. No matter how much we exercise or eat healthy foods, no matter how much we avoid the wrong foods, the wrong chemicals, we can do no more than increase our odds of living to a ripe old age. We will die. Even the tech entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that hope to extend their lives through uploading their consciousness to computers or who hope to extend our, everybody's lives through medical discoveries are limited to merely extending the lives. Because you see, accidents happen, and over time accidents will catch up with each of us. Computer memories can be destroyed or wiped, and the best of natural bodies eventually meet with ends. And so we have to look to God if we wish to live past the death of our natural bodies or the destruction of even the best computer memories. For you see, one day our lives in this universe ends. We go to sleep and we don't wake up. So where does our help come from? It cannot come from within us. It can't come from other people. I don't know anybody here. I don't know of anybody who knows how to live forever with their own ideas, their own power. Our help can only come from the one who has defeated death. He's proven that he could die and come back to life. And the only historical person who's defeated death for himself and others is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And so if we're totally dependent upon God for a life after death, what can we do to ensure that eternal life? Many religions have proposed answers. The Hindu religion proposes giving sacrifices to the right gods that they will be pleased with us. And then the Hindu religion has thousands of gods. Which one's right? And what are the right sacrifices? The Buddhist religion says, oh, no, what you're trying to do is just disappear. Stop being. That's your goal. But there's something that in us that really rebels up against that as an idea, isn't there? The Shinto religion of Japan is much the same as the Hindu. To which God must we sacrifice and what must we sacrifice? And nearer to home, the Jewish religion declared that the way to become right with God was to follow 613 specific different commands, which range from giving the proper sacrifices to dressing properly, to avoiding certain foods, to avoiding other behaviors, to study, 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 so that you will know what those rules are. And the religion of Islam is much the same. The way to please God to the Islamic follower is by following many rules of living, doing certain actions and avoiding other things and actions. And this still appeals to us today. You've heard of the, the religion that's followed in Hollywood, a religion that was developed in the 1940s under Dianetics. It's all about working hard to become better and making yourself better, and therefore you will eventually go on to a higher life, it's said. 
it still appeals to us that we should be able to control these things. Most people believe, even most Christians deep down believe, that we have to earn the right to be with God by doing what God wants us to do and avoiding those actions and things that God wants us to avoid. After all, this is the way that our earthly mothers and fathers love us, isn't it? We don't steal the cookies from the cookie jar. We never break the cookie jar. We earn good grades in school. We're kind to other children. We don't get our clothes dirty. We do what mom and dad ask without complaining. And because of this, many of us think that's why mom and dad love us. And when we do the things that mom and dad have told us not to do, we have a fight and an argument. Maybe we're punished and we think mom and dad don't love us. And so we think that God must act the same way. And so we look for the house rules, the rules that God wants us to follow so God will accept us. And if we can't follow those rules, we fully expect to be kicked out of God's house, to be unwelcome in God's churches, to be bound for hell, the place we are told where those who do bad things end up. And we believe all of that. But you know, when we read the New Testament carefully from beginning to end, we do see heaven, we do see hell, but we see a different story about how God decides who's in heaven and who's in hell. God doesn't make that decision based upon our behavior, our ability to follow the rules. Instead, we hear that Jesus has defeated death through his resurrection. And we hear that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, God himself walking on the earth. And we hear Jesus claimed to be a king, but his kingdom is not of the earth. And we hear his disciples describe this new and different way to be on God's good side. The Apostle Paul eloquently wrote in several places, most extensively in his letter to the Romans, that following the rules doesn't get us anywhere. But breaking the rules, even a single rule, ultimately would get us death. Paul points out that no one, even Paul himself, could keep the rules of proper living all the time. The apostle Peter agrees with Paul, pointing out that Paul may be difficult to understand, but Paul is right. And so Paul continues to tell us the way that Jesus taught, by telling us that we must do as Abraham did. Abraham, the great father of the Jewish people, believed God when God told him that he would be the father of a great nation. And God declared Abraham righteous simply because Abraham believed what God said. And so we must each do as Abraham did. We must believe God. We must believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, God walking upon the earth. And if we believe this, then we must listen carefully to what Jesus said. For clearly what the actual Son of God says is extraordinarily important for us. And we must believe so much that we choose to follow Jesus, imitating him, following his teachings, having faith, a deep trust that Jesus is good and wise and knows the way to be on God's side. After all, Jesus died and yet came back from the death to walk on earth again. He knows something we don't know. And Jesus said that all who follow him will have eternal life. And so Paul said, speaking to believers, Therefore, since we have been justified through our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access 
by faith into the grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, this faith in Jesus, who he is and what he has taught us makes us right with God and gives us peace with God. And so God will overlook all the mistakes and the misdeeds, all the trouble we've caused and the temptations that we've fallen for, all the sins and sneaking that we've done, and God will give us grace. God will be kind to us. Not because we've been good children, but despite the fact we've been bad children, because God loves us like an excellent parent, loves the wayward son or daughter who makes bad choices. They love them just because we're all children of God. And because of this love of God for us and our faith in the teachings of Jesus, it changes our perspective on life. As Paul said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character produces hope. When we have faith in the goodness of Jesus, we no longer look at tough times as punishments, but take those sufferings as training to develop in us good character and hope. And Paul further points out that this hope is not a stupid, silly belief that will bite us in the end, but we know that this hope is well-founded. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's nothing we did that brought God to offer us eternal life. Paul points out that we were powerless to defeat death on our own. As Paul said, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he goes on to say, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. He believes that good is much higher than righteous even. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's what Paul says. God didn't wait for us to become good before defeating death. 2,000 years ago, Christ sacrificed himself to pay the price for everything we each had done wrong in our lives, paying for the broken cookie jars of our lives, the quarters that should have gone into the cussing jar. You ever have a cussing jar? The financial cost of the rehab the cost of the stress treatments for our spouses and our parents and the counseling that our children need. He paid the death price that all of our punishments added up to for all those things we did wrong in our lives. And Jesus paid that price 2,000 years before we were born because we knew, He knew, that we would break the rules repeatedly. And so even if you and I or you and I were the only people who ever broke the rules, he still would have died in our place on the cross. And Paul then asks, if God gave up God's Son for us while we were still God's enemies, what more will he do for us since we've turned to God and chosen to follow Jesus and been reconciled with God? If he would do all that for us while we were his enemies, what will he do for us today now that we're trying to follow his son and be right with him. For our role in this whole thing is very small. God chose to send Jesus to earth, and Jesus taught those 
taught us that those who follow him will have eternal life. Jesus chose to die on the cross instead of us dying forever. And then God chose to resurrect Jesus to demonstrate that Jesus truly was God's son. Our rule is simply to accept the promises and this gift that God has laid before, before us. The gift of being reconciled with God who's tracked each of us down and found us. Who sacrificed his son in our place. Who's demonstrated his power and love with the resurrection of Jesus. And asks us to simply accept this gift by choosing now to turn from our old ways and to follow Jesus more and more every day, reading about his teachings and listening to the Holy Spirit that's our daily guide when we choose to follow Jesus and get baptized. What does a Christian need to do to survive death? Choose to follow Jesus, get baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, and then try your best to follow Jesus by reading a Bible, learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, and trusting deeply that Jesus does have the power and the love to lead us into eternal life. For this is how God chose to reconcile each and every person to himself. God did all the work. All we need to do is say thank you and pick up the gift and let God make us glad. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the Give tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.